But I figure I can sit here, eat my apple, and uh, through the magics of editing, if I need to, I just uh, clip out my voice. And uh, there's a word for it. What's the word for hearing and hearing? I didn't understand. Mis misophonia. A disorder which means sufferers have a hatred of sounds such as eating, chewing, loud breathing, or even repeated pen clicking. Wow. Interesting. Misophonia. See? Didn't know that uh, we were going to educate the world on investment, healthcare, and fears and disorders. <laughs> Okay. Well, let's uh let's stay organized, yeah. Yeah. Uh let's get on to the the next portion. Uh uh hello everyone. Thanks that I I'm just trying to avoid using the words welcome back again, but maybe maybe it's comforting to some people to always hear welcome back. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, if that's the case, welcome back everyone <laughs> to Another episode of The Truth About Investing, Back to Basics. I'm Chris Holly. And I'm Sean Cooper. Um, yeah, yeah. Metrophonia. Oh, <laughs> and today... We are going to talk about universal healthcare, healthcare for all, single payer, and and other synonyms of that. Do you have another synonym of that? Uh, not necessarily. All right. Well, then tell us, Sean Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> what what is universal healthcare? Medicare for all, single payer, is is it all the same thing? I guess should be the first part. Is it just the same same verbiage for for the same thing, or do those three mean three different things? Uh, it's it's more or less the same. They're just variations of the same con concept, if you will. So, yeah. Um, and right. in fact, to to get started, I'll actually stick with uh, last week's theme and just give you a, a definition. Uh, sadly, I'm not using Investopedia today. We're actually going off of the World Health Organization's website, which says universal health coverage, UHC, means that all people wait, and communities. Wait, wait. What? What? Well, we're starting out, and you got this noisy ass siren behind you. So. Ah, it's appropriate. We're talking about healthcare. Well, then it's an emergency that you talk <laughs> about universal healthcare. <laughs> Sorry. That's please, right. Please continue. <laughs> all right. So universal health coverage means that all people in communities can use the promotive, preventative, curative, rehabilitative, and palliative health services they need of sufficient quality to be effective, while also ensuring that the use of these services does not expose the user to financial hardship. Okay. Yep. All right. Feel pretty good about that so far? No. No? I, well, I mean, yeah, all right. I mean, it's okay. Conceptually, it's great. Yeah, it, sure. it, all great things to strive for. Yeah, I agree. Yep, yep. Uh, whether or not it's feasible is something we'll we'll talk 
about down the road. Um, however, as Chris alluded to earlier, this concept of universal health care is, or health coverage, I should say, is um, kind of divided into three separate models. So the, the first that I'll discuss is a single payer model. And in this one, it's basically the government takes over everything. So the government provides the health services, the health care providers are actually government employees. So everything's owned by the government. It's the insurance, the employees, the health care marketplace, everything. And you basically pay for it out of your income taxes. So think a uh, significant spike in your income taxes. And, and you're go ahead. In, in theory, because you're you're at work, you're typically paying for health insurance now in theory that amount goes away and maybe maybe it comes out to be about the same amount as if you're paying in your income taxes or is it more is it less it would depend on how they set it up so currently because you are paying via most people rather i should say are paying via their employees coverage your employer is actually covering the bulk of your health insurance. Okay. So uh, at least in most cases. So it depends on how much your employer is covering, but in most instances, it's probably around an 80-20 split between uh, your employer versus yourself. So even though you might feel like you're paying a lot relative to the total cost, you're paying a fairly small fraction. So if the government takes over and it's all based on your income taxes, and not some kind of split between you and your employer, then the bite that you're going to feel is probably going to be significantly more. Okay, fair enough. Because you are now taking care of the full 100% cost of, right. of that and no longer the employer taking over some of that. Correct, okay. right. And conceptually, the government should be able to control the rising cost of healthcare and those kind of things under this model um, but again, you are taking on 100% instead of what most people are seeing is only about 20%. Okay. With that said, if your employer is no longer having to cover that bulk of your health insurance, then hopefully they can afford to offer you a raise. And certainly as they're trying to recruit, recruit new employees, entice people to come work for them, if they've lost that uh, model of saying, hey, we have this you know, these additional fringe benefits, if they no longer have those to offer, then uh, wages are the only thing they have to compete on, then I would expect wages would increase. And that will partially offset the increase in your taxes. But it also put you in new income tax brackets that, you know, where you'll feel this even more. So there's there's pluses and minuses. Uh, there's also no guarantee on that, right? So the, in theory, right. they, they want to be competitive and they'll want to give an increased pay because that's they're able to find that money that they're no longer putting towards their health benefits and they might want to increase salaries and they also could pocket it in theory if they wanted to. Is that true? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they can pull it off and still uh, recruit and retain uh, employees of a sufficient caliber to complete the work, then without increasing pay yeah they'll absolutely have that option okay and um if you if you're still struggling with this single single payer model that's effectively what uh, the united states does uh, the department of veterans affairs so 
our veterans and military personnel are effectively under this model. And if you want to know how effective it is, go ask one of our veterans what they think about it. Yes. I, yep. <laughs> uh, yep. I, I've heard nothing but quality things about um okay fair enough Uh, in in theory also uh if if the amount is no longer uh being shouldered by the business uh then to me that also says that the business is no longer able to uh have it become a tax deductible expense because that money is there is no expense anymore yeah right right so the business will get taxed additionally beyond that point. So so they'll save some money where they're not having to cover in health insurance benefits, but then they will get taxed additionally on that amount that was a normally tax deductible initially. Is that right? Uh, assuming they keep it in retained earnings, yes. Um, otherwise, I mean, if they use it for uh, additional expenses, so you know, for future growth, research and development, things of that nature, then it becomes a di- just a different expense that's no longer taxable or uh if they pay it out in the form of dividends you know they're not then you're um changing the the taxability of it significantly so there's lots of things it it all depends on what they do with that savings so they they could in theory get taxed on more but if they just reallocate that stuff then they might just have something else become tax deductible at that point yeah or taxed in a different way taxed in a different way okay Fair enough. Yeah, ultimately, you'll always end up paying some kind of tax on it, but yeah. <laughs> and then because we've talked about uh, how how insurance has started and how, how everything has gotten organized and talked about how sometimes, uh, a lot of times, the treatment is strongly influenced over how the regulation is concerned, it's mm-hmm. now your care, and I'm making assumptions here, but now your care and how you are being treated and whatever treatment that you think is appropriate is, is, do you have any control and any say in this? Or is this something that is strictly held by government regulation at that point? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, where, where we have private health care now and we have a, a still a very decent say in the health care that we receive, you know, determining whether or not uh, we want to pursue certain treatments or recommendations from our doctor, we still have quite a bit of say in that, uh, even though insurance is taking over more and more of that control, uh, certainly taking more of it away from the doctor at this point. Um, under a single-payer pa- single model, the government will have ultimate say in that, um, really taking it out of your hands as a consumer and even out of the hand of your uh, healthcare providers. Okay. So now I, the concept is that it'll be based on, you know, statistical evidence, what care you should receive based on the symptoms that you are being presenting with. Um, we talked a little bit about this concept when we discussed DRGs in uh, the history of healthcare. And, you know, as I've, we've discussed, there are pluses and minuses to that concept and just how effective it can be. Sure. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. So that's singular, single payer model. Um, any other questions on that before I jump to the next model? No, no. The next is uh, Medicare for all, right? Uh, you're uh, jumping a little further ahead of me, oh, actually. Oh, then the um, next one is I universal. I was going to talk about, 
uh, social health insurance model. Oh. Um, Pulled a fast one on me. I didn't have that on my list. I did. Yeah, I'm throwing you off. So <laughs> these are just different names for the, the same same concepts. Um, social health insurance model is effectively what the Affordable Care Act was striving for or Obamacare, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, and that's where they basically mandate that everyone has private insurance or okay. they have government-run insurance. Uh, either way, it, it still falls under that same concept. So the doctors, the hospitals, those are still private. Those are not, not controlled. I mean, they're still going to be controlled by the government and the insurance to a degree, but they're still technically private institutions. But the insurance is now mandatory or completely government-run. So slightly different from the single-payer model in that regard. So what's the what's the benefit of that? What's the struggle with that then? The idea is you still have the the private practice in that you have uh, ideally competition between healthcare practitioners in terms of the services they offer, their expertise, and things of that nature. So you can still choose your doctor and um, you know work with somebody that you you prefer. So uh, again, the idea of choosing your doctor. Uh, we, we covered that when we talked about the different types of insurance previously as well, and each one has varying degrees of how much control you have over the doc- your doctor preference. But, you know, the, the private practice should create competition, both from a pricing standpoint and a service model standpoint. Okay. So what's what's the bad about it? Why... We, we've talked about some of the good that can come from it. What's what's some of the bad that can come from that? This well, the, the other potential good that can f- come from it in regards to a uh, everyone being forced to have insurance is that insurance companies are no longer plagued by, uh, what's the word for it? Um, anyway, it, it'll come to me. Hopefully it'll come to me. Um, basically, the concept that people, when insurance is optional the people who are most apt to purchase the insurance are the people who are most prone to using the insurance and therefore uh, the insurance is more likely to have to pay out on those people and thus the insurance premiums have to rise in order to offset the costs but by having everyone be forced to buy insurance you have the uh, basically the young healthy people that really aren't using the healthcare providers and therefore are not using the health insurance that are now having to pay into the insurance pool and offsetting the risk of those who are unhealthy or older or any any anything that might cause them to need more health care. Um, so the conceptually it reduces the risk to the insurer and therefore should reduce the overall premiums that are being having to be paid at least to those who are at risk of needing the health insurance now as anyone who has uh, lived through the last you know since 2013 and has been paying insurance that during that time you know that if you are young and healthy your insurance premiums went up in fact most people experienced their insurance premiums going up after the Affordable Care Act was enacted and after uh, some of the additional um, 
components of it came into play in 2018. So, so that, that would be one of the big negatives is uh, as far as controlling Costco, it it's, doesn't tend to be all that effective. And where it is effective at controlling costs, it also is tends to be very effective at reducing the services that you receive. So from what I'm understanding, the uh, the social, say it again, social... Social health insurance model. Okay, so from how I'm understanding it, the social health insurance model, conceptually, is making sure that everybody is required to get some type of insurance, and because everyone has the requirement to do so, that it will offset the costs across the board of everybody having to pay out certain insurance amounts because the they have a more consistent base, and it's coming from people that may be healthy, and they're paying into it, but they're not having to pull from it. And conceptually, that the model is made for that to offset some of those larger costs. However, the time that it has been implemented in the past through Obamacare, uh, at least the, the trial run that has been in place for that period of time didn't actually handle the cost, but it managed to increase costs across the board, at least as far as the one trial run that we had so far of it. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and there yeah. are countries that have employed it, uh, Germany, France, Belgium, Netherlands, Japan, Switzerland, to name a few, um, and they use it to control costs, and they are somewhat effective, um, but there are negatives that offset that effectiveness. So uh, there are, again, pluses and minuses to all of the models. Um, one of the big negatives that I see with mandatory insurance is uh, that you effectively even though there might be multiple insurances unless of course the government completely takes over the insurance uh, side of things um, even if you have multiple insurance companies the competition is effectively lessened because now everybody is required to have it it's it's kind of like a, a utility we at least in the u.s we all believe the majority of us believe we need electricity. So an utility, if it wasn't reg highly regulated by the government, could charge us basically whatever they wanted. And that's where some of the increases in insurance premiums can really be seen is they, it reduces their need to compete based on pricing because now you've been told you have to have it. Okay. Fair enough. And so, so. It, it, it has been seen to to work in some other countries but comes with some negatives as well right yeah okay uh those other countries for the most part have seen dramatic changes in terms of the services they're offered the waits um wait waiting times, periods yes wait times okay. um uh, and like i said the services that are actually being offered or uh you're being allowed to have so has the, the government still changed? ultimately yes yeah the government still ultimately, because they're taking over one half of it, they end up controlling the other half as well. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Um, because they, they are also implementing an option uh, of insurance via the government, and so they are creating what regulations that they find to be necessary, which tends to bleed into the other insurance companies along the way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's um, next? So national health insurance would be a fairly similar to the the social health insurance model 
Um, it's still private practices, like we talked about before. Okay. However, um, it's a public health insurance model. You lost me. Uh, what aspect did I? <laughs> <laughs> well, so if we have a private insurance model, but it's public, is where you lost me. <laughs> so yeah. if if it's if it's private across the board, which, which part of it becomes public at that point? Are you saying that it's stockholders that have public control? No, no, no. The, okay. the, the practices are private. The insurance is public. Oh, okay. So, so public in the sense Think of... Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, Canada. Okay. Does that help at all? Maybe a little? Sort of. Um... <laughs> So, so it's a national insurance plan. Uh, so there are no, it, it's not them mandating that you have insurance. So you, it's not the, the government saying, okay, you all have to go out and individually get insurance via these different venues, either through the government or through these private insurance companies. It's the government creating an insur- their own insurance, if you will, and that it in turn will pay for private practice care. I guess I don't see why that's different than the previous one, the social. Um, it's different in that it you're not getting... Okay, so there are certain, at least in our version, so Medicare, Medicaid, uh, TRICARE, there are private aspects to that insurance, but for the most part, it is paid via a... A public plan so you pay it into medicare the same way you do social security okay and throughout then, your life so because you're paying into a we'll, we'll just say medicare so if you're paying yes. into a medicare based plan and then that pays into the private insurance beyond that no, it doesn't pay into private insurance. It's used to pay for private practice care. So oh. uh, no private insurance is involved. They, they complete So national health insurance completely eliminates the private insurance. Well, mostly eliminates the private insurance. And why I say mostly is because if you have ever, I'm, I'm sh- I know you haven't, but mm-hmm. if you've ever looked at, at purchasing a Medicare, there's no reason for you to yet. Um, there are still private insurance companies available that uh, can kind of create add-ons to your Medicare plan. So there are different parts of Medicare, and uh, the base portions are covered via the public insurance, but then private insurance can add on, tack on additional uh, insurance coverage if you want. But the base is already covered via what you've paid in Medicare premiums throughout your working life so okay. so the national health care so that i've got this the the national health care is you everyone is paying into it as a normal expense which is kind of like the single payer that we were talking about where the employers don't have to worry about it anymore you're paying into it because it's a cost kind of like social security or general medicare cost out of your paycheck comes and it goes to the government and then the government runs just the insurance but not the private marketplace that is healthcare, and uh, right. then they're they not running pay. the hospitals, the clinics, or the hot doctors, or anything like that. Okay, and so that 
I'm on the same page so that I understand it, then because healthcare still determines what the cost is, then insurance uh, pays out into whatever healthcare is determining as the treatment, so long as health insurance agrees on what that healthcare treatment is, but because it's still public and it's the healthcare is not government run, then if the government insurance won't pay for whatever that treatment is, then that falls on the consumer. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Took a took a wild road to get there, but I I'm with you. Yeah. And um because the government has in that instance has so much control, so much sway, so much uh, purchasing power, if you will, in terms of the number of people that they are covering, they actually have a lot of leverage on the medical medical community in terms of what they're going to reimburse and what they're going to pay for services. So that's where people really point to it and say, hey, look how great Medicare has done at keeping costs down. Um, and yes, they've done a great job at keeping the cost to the consumer down, um, at least the consumer that is covered by Medicare because what they pay out is very low. So low, in fact, that they actually only cover 87 cents on the dollar for costs that is absorbed by healthcare practitioners. Wow. Right. So, and that's where it really fails in regards to uh, the coverage that it offers is while we're busily keeping costs down, if everyone was covered by Medicare. So like, what? You, so, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, so if everyone, so if we did the whole Medicare for all concept, if we pursued that and kept things the way they are, where it's literally reimbursing hospitals, doctors, um, clinics, private practices, nurses, all of the all your healthcare profession professionals, 87 cents on the dollar of the cost that they absorb, we would rapidly find that they all go out of business and we would have no healthcare professionals left. Wow. Okay. Is there a plan to take care of that 13 cents on the dollar difference in between the two? I think if we adopted that plan, the government would be forced to uh, make some changes. Uh, obviously, they'd enact lots, lots more regulations because that's their response to everything um, in sure. terms of what, what they're willing to cover, what the doctors need to be doing, uh, basically creating lots more controls on what their uh, what services are going to be provided and things of that nature, ultimately reimbursing uh, more to keep people, uh, keep the healthcare industry afloat. I also expect they would probably create other incentives to try to entice people to join the healthcare industry, uh, kind of the way they did back in, the, I want to say, the 60s, 70s. They actually. Um, create a number of regulations to entice people to join the healthcare profession and actually go to medical school, things of that nature. Interesting. So, yeah, the, the, yeah I, I would expect tons more government regulation. Um, we would start to look a lot more like Canada uh, and their health insurance and healthcare environment. Um, to put that in perspective... Uh, I think the last stat I saw, 
of Canadians who had been referred to a specialist waited more than four weeks to see that specialist. Wow. So Jeez. waiting period of a, a full month, basically. Okay. Um, so it, it's kind of the same concept throughout all of these that the the perceived benefit is uh, lower cost, uh, more control of those those costs, um, both from the insurance premium standpoint and the, the health care standpoint and the, the drawbacks that we typically see when evaluating the systems that we have in place here in the U.S. and abroad are uh, lower service. And wait times, it sounds like. higher Yeah, and higher wait times. Um, sorry, I was really kind of stuck on a concept there uh, that I find frustrating. So uh, elective... <laughs> Elective surgeries, for example, in foreign countries that have these universal healthcare systems are very, very minimal. Uh, basically, you're going to pay out of pocket if you want an elective surgery, or you're going to wait months or years to have these elective surgeries. And things that they even throw on as that they label as elective surgeries become basically shift. So the, the standard by which it becomes elective shifts, which means things that were previously considered a, a necessary surgery become elective. Uh, kind of like what we were talking example? about before um, when we were talking about the, the, the shifting standard for that hip replacement and the, the hip recovery where it was, you had to walk like, um, what did we say? I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But the the distance that you had to walk to be released was re- literally cut to a third. Yeah, um, and that that's the kind of thing that I mean. Um, and what they often see in those other countries is um, even necessary surgeries. The wait time is so long that uh, the compounding effect of health issues actually push often push patients to the point where their health deteriorates to the point where certain necessary surgeries become uh, too risky to perform mm. yeah i can so see basically that. you need this surgery but the waiting time to be to have this surgery conducted is such that by the time you're actually on the list and due to have the operation, you now have additional health risks that make it so that this operation is too risky to perform. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're you're losing some of the quality just long term for those that are going to be it's it's generally going to be geriatrics and people that are that are older in age because they're at a certain risk and then a higher risk down the road just because of the right. overall quality of life and failure to thrive so to speak that uh, that becomes a lot more difficult and uh, I guess if you're looking at things like today uh, if you're looking at the possibility of a um, circumstance where it might affect you down the road where if you have this system in place that could delay treatment that very well could affect the livelihood of of someone as to whether or not they are even eligible for an immediate and necessary operation 
that gets delayed because of the process, then that person could be you, <laughs> right? Right. If you're, and that's that's something to to consider uh, if if you're okay with that being you. Right. I don't know. I don't know how and, else to word that. And I will say, in all fairness, one of the things that we really glossed over the other advantage to these universal healthcare uh, healthcare for all models. And the one of the goals is to provide healthcare for everyone. Absolutely. Um, and that is a, a noble thing to to strive for. Um, certainly, that was part of the goal of Mtala, which we discussed previously as well. That made it so anyone presenting at an emergency room would receive care. That was that was kind of the goal there, and we we've discussed that at length. I think. Um, but yeah, that is, that is one advantage that we, we, we shouldn't gloss over and uh, needs to be addressed. Um, but I think that the biggest disadvantage is certainly the, the change in standard of care that we would expect under any of these models. And the reason Medicare is so effective now is, and the reason the standard of care hasn't changed for Medicare is because it operates in a system of private healthcare, private insurance, in which they can literally offset those that that 13 cent gap by basically charging everybody else more. Gotcha. Sure. Got to find the balance. Okay. Well, right. bef- before we, we dip out of this, I, I want to make sure that we touch on what we said we were going to address last time and uh, talk about malpractice insurance a little bit and how it does or doesn't get affected into this realm. So if we have any of these, because they're, they're different versions and they, they are separate, which we just talked about, but uh, same in the sense of, of a lot of ways of likely having it run, uh, it being health insurance, health insurance yes. run by the government. And malpractice insurance is something that's frankly unavoidable to me. And, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you I have... I would tend to agree. Okay. To me, malpractice insurance is going to be in, pre- in place because if it is a uh, publicly run healthcare, then the doctors are still going to need malpractice insurance and still pay for it, and the business needs to run that way. And even if it's the government, then the government needs to have a certain amount and approach allocated for if and when the the people sue the government for what malpractice is and what right. has occurred in doing so. So where in the system government-wise, because that's what we're talking about, does malpractice insurance fall? Uh, it's going to be run by the government. Does it, it, what What would that look like, do you think? And I know it's all conceptualizing here, but. Well, uh, first I would say that um, certainly under the single payer model, so where the government has taken over the insurance as well as the providers, so they're now government employees, the government's gonna take over the, the malpractice insurance in that. Uh, scenario for sure under the social health insurance model and the national health insurance model where uh, there is still private practice so uh, hospitals and clinics are still potentially private I would say uh, malpractice is more likely malpractice insurance is more likely to still fall under um, the private model um, so be more or less what it is today, possibly just with more government controls. But under the single-payer model, definitely it's going to be taken over by the government. As far as where that falls, 
uh, there's so many different ways the government could potentially uh, take that on, either by uh, you know charging a set amount to all. Uh, that since they're government employees, they wouldn't charge the employees. It doesn't really make any sense. It's more likely that the and since they've taken over the insurance and they're paying for the services that way it's more likely that you would see an uptick in your insurance premium and a portion of your insurance premium would actually go to a covering malpractice insurance and when you're referencing the premium you're you're referencing the premium that you're paying into your your medicare amount that gets right yeah so it's not even that it'd be your your taxes would go up right okay yeah your income taxes that they're using to fund this health insurance pool to pay for government-run health care ultimately would go up okay because that's that's just an inevitable cost that's that's part of it and uh, so when when looking at numbers and looking at the comparison of uh, how much you may be paying in health insurance now versus where you might be paying into X amount in your essentially Medicare coming out of your check each month, then something to consider is also going to be the amount that's going to be calculated for malpractice insurance, whether it's initially or over time when they start to implement it into their system. Is that what I gather out of all that, or did I use too many words? Um, I mean, Medicare care doesn't technically doesn't fit the single single payer model, but... Um, I'm, I'm using it as an unfair Yes, word. as an example. I mean, no, but it fits as an example because we are paying for it via our taxes, and that is ultimately how we would end up paying for a government-run healthcare model. Right, and that's that's and what I was generalizing. The, the malpractice insurance would end up just getting lumped into that. Now, on paper or, you know, in their electronic filing system or how, whatever they use, you know, they might show it as coming out of each individual um, service provided based on a percentage or something like that. But ultimately, it just gets added to the taxes that you pay on your income. Okay, fair enough. As long as we're considering it and we're aware of it and we know that it's going to be a part of it and it's it's unavoidable, that's that's basically what I, I think we needed to address on it. Is there is there anything additional to that? Is there going to be separate private malpractice insurance that would also occur even if the government took over on that or do you think that they'd they just handle it no i doubt it yeah if the government took over it there'd be no purpose for the private um certainly it might be a private institution that the government absorbs sure you know whatever whoever the biggest malpractice provider is or maybe they buy them all out i don't i don't know exactly how that would work look but yeah okay fair enough well that's a that's a big complicated mess of stuff i think it was yeah i think i think we we filtered through a lot of it pretty well like you said that was a lot yeah, um and some of those systems are a little convoluted there's not you know a huge difference between some of them bit of a gray area subtle differences but uh ultimately they all they all strive for the same potential benefits and all suffer from the same typical drawbacks yeah well, uh, I'm excited because we are really starting to near the end of this season. I'm going to call it a season. Uh, okay, starting That's to fair. near the end of this 
this season that's been so focused on healthcare and health insurance because like we mentioned before it's it's not like a crazy surprise or anything but we we really want to talk about the long-term effects of these things because it's still you know we <laughs> we're an investing podcast and we we haven't even talked about the staples of stocks and and active investments and such and and which is really what I enjoy more sure <laughs> and we'll we'll still lean into some of that down the road but this is such an important part of what we're trying to to portray and some of the things that we need to address in the next few episodes actually coming up soon we haven't quite figured out how we're going to break them all down and and get our point across the best uh, but I'm excited because we're starting to finally wrap up all this crazy complicated health insurance stuff that we've been covering for weeks now we have one more foundational topic that we would like to cover uh, that being long-term care insurance before we bring it all together to discuss what this really means uh, what it could mean in the future and what that means for your finances and we will be doing that via a, a story through the ages if you will uh, but one more foundational piece, that being long-term care insurance. With a Next big, time. fancy bow and a caduceus. That's what it's called, right? The the snake with the, the wings on it? I think that's what it's called, a caduceus. That sounds You're right. on your own. I, yeah. <laughs> Hold on. See, because now I'm, now I'm saying it. Caduceus. Uh, How are you even spelling that? Uh, not well is the C-A-D-U-C-E-U-S, Caduceus. Oh, wait, wait, here. Caduceus. Caduceus, I think. Hold on, one more, one more. Pronunciation. What results are you getting exactly? Don't, don't ask. You don't, you don't, you don't ask about how, how an artist creates their their formal caduceus see caduceus yeah yeah absolutely i know what i'm talking about a caduceus yeah a ribbon with a fancy caduceus on top it's the snake with the wings on it like you see on all those medical symbols yeah i'll, I'll take your word for whatever. it whatever now it's going too far okay well <laughs> thank you everyone <laughs> if only this wasn't a podcast and people could see what you were talking about uh, the, people will absolutely see what i'm talking about it's a in their mind hole is how they'll see oh geez this is going downhill thank you for joining yeah, us again <laughs> on on the truth about investing back to basics i'm chris holling and i'm sean cooper and we will catch you on the next one you'll hear us when you catch us okay <laughs>
All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Halling is not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Halling represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond its author's intent, distribution, or copying of the contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal accounting or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or their representatives, the consumer should contact their state securities administrator.